Welcome back to another excellent episode of the First Time Watchers podcast. Because we like to watch. My name is Tim Costa. I'm Romano De Silva. I am Walter J. Vinci, Esquire the Third. And what we like to do on the FTW podcast is find a movie that none of us have seen, watch it together, and then discuss these movies. Could be new, they could be old, or something that's all over lists of shame. And stay tuned to the very end of this episode to each of us make a very special movie recommendation. And remember, you can email us at firsttimewatchers at gmail.com. In this episode, we continue our Second Time Watchers series to discuss a film from Hermano's childhood, the 1989 film, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. But before we get into that, it is time for Yay or Nay. <laughs> this is the part of the show where we discuss what we have seen recently on our own. Wally? All right, so this week... If you are a wrestling fan, you know is WrestleMania weekend. It's the show of shows. It's the biggest show the WF is going to put on all year. And I happened to cross on YouTube a documentary I have not seen since it debuted when I when I saw it in 1999 when it was re- initially released uh, by Barry W. Blaustein called Beyond the Mat, a heartfelt documentary focusing on the day-to-day lives of professional wrestlers, some on the rise, some on the wane, and others fighting for their lives. This is a was kind of an interesting rewatch now nearly 20 years later uh, because of just some of the the changes of fortune that have that have happened to some of these uh, some of these guys, specifically Jake Roberts. Uh, when you see him in this documentary, he is addicted to crack. He is incoherent at times. He is basically just a, a complete and utter an utter mess. Far cry from the Jake the Snake that you remember as as a child that you know used to wrestle and you know seeing him in this at this point one of his lowest lows in his life knowing now that he's actually thriving and and healthy and clean now because of diamond dallas page that was kind of an interesting thing because at the time i remember watching this going oh man like this is terrible because like i remember him being one of my favorite wrestlers to watch when i was younger and seeing him you know seeing you know someone that you grew up watching that was always like you know fast and agile and and was a wrestler you know and then seeing him just like he's fat he's out of shape he's fallen apart at the seams and you know knowing that his life has cleaned up and, and gone in a, in a better direction since was a uh, pretty interesting also uh terry funk not retiring because he is still wrestling uh as of a few weeks ago in small independent shows so he's not really retired either uh, and just some of the stuff that uh, I remember seeing on pay-per-view with like Mick Foley getting smacked around with a chair and like his family's reaction. And it, it's just a kind of a, an interesting little, you know, peek behind the curtain, you know, from 20 years ago. And, and seeing that a lot of this stuff still happens, still happens now, uh, not so much in the WF anymore. They've really cleaned up as far as, you know, uh, restricting things like chair shots to the head and having a wellness policy for their wrestlers and, 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 Trying to take at least some sort of some sort of step in uh, in taking care of them uh, while they're while they're employed by the company. So yeah, this is a this is a yay. Give it a watch. It's on YouTube. You can find it for free, um, and it's uh, beyond the map. I uh, you know what has changed in twenty years, Wally? What? Uh, WWF is now called the WWE, and I don't even watch the fucking thing. 
True. Uh, so a couple things for me. I did go out and catch the newest uh, Disney live action remake, reimagining, however you want to call it, in Dumbo. I uh, it's charming. It's slight. You know, I I don't know what what I really expected from this movie because I had also recently rewatched the original um, animated movie, which is only sixty three minutes long, and. And I came away from that thinking there's more that you can tell because that movie is essentially nothing. It's and I in reading up and talking with people about the original animated film is that those that movie was animated by the people most of the animators who mainly worked on the silly symphonies at the time. It was because the main animators were busy working on both Fantasia and Bambi. And they were looking. Uh, Disney wanted to put a feature in between those two films and had those uh, people work on it. So I think I remember in my rewatch, I was like, "This animation is rather crude," and it makes sense now because thinking back, it does remind me of those silly symphony uh, cartoons. And uh, as far as this remake, it's like I said, it's fine. Although as far as the story, you know, this, it's it's about this small little traveling circus who is bought up by a much larger uh, circus and entertainment business. And there is some, oddly enough, a weird meta-commentary going on this about a bigger corporation buying a smaller entertainment business for profit and not caring about the little people. Uh, it's it's really interesting considering this comes from Disney uh, and how Tim Burton and his writer or writers were able to get that past the... Uh, producers, I, I don't, I don't know how that happened, but uh, I do like Colin Farrell and Danny DeVito in this. Uh, although Michael Keaton, I'm not really sure what he's doing. Maybe he's not even sure. Uh, the biggest issue with this movie is the third act. Things just happen. People just do things with no real cause, circumstance. I don't know. By then, I had kind of bought it, bought in. I, I mean, the elephant is is cuter and goes through more of an emotional arc than in the 41 film, uh, which is good. Uh, I don't know. I, it's it's fine. It's fine. It's not terrible. Uh, I was entertained, and that's I guess all that I could expect. Interestingly enough, the very last shot of this film, I half expected it to be a backdoor prequel into the Lion King, and I would have really appreciated the balls I would have taken for it to do that. Uh, but no, it wasn't. Uh, eh, it's fine. Meh. Tim's pick of the week and uh, second favorite movie of the year is Dragged Across Concrete. I need to see this still. Oh my god, guys! This movie is so fucking awesome. You you both have seen Brawl on Cell Block ninety nine, right? That is correct. Yep. Okay. I and you both like that movie. Uh, I thought it was okay. I, like I, had, I had a few issues with with some of the some of the things that go on, but overall, I I dug. Uh, I, overall, I dug it. Yeah. In, in terms of. Pacing, I think this movie is more similarly paced to Bone Tomahawk. Look, as far as the story, everything about from this movie has been done before uh, in uh, other combinations uh, uh, in films prior. There's little about this movie that's original, but it's how Zoller utilizes those familiar pieces to establish what I think is one of the most deliberately engrossing stories of the year. Uh, it's quiet, never boring. Uh, in its pace, it's efficient, a very crisp script, and wonderfully played by every single actor. Uh, and you get 
everything, and I mean everything you need to know about these people, because there's the time uh, invested to get to know everything about these people. And the thing is, too, he Zoller never wants you, it doesn't seem like he wants you to empathize with anybody, no matter how dirty or clean they are. Uh, he, all he does is he shows you how they come to make the decisions they do by their life circumstances. And it's it's just so amazing. It's just so really well done. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about the two main leads, I guess mainly so um, uh, Mel Gibson and his casting, I guess, it, uh, also considering his the, the type of character he plays. Uh, but it's not just their film. It's, it's more reaching than those two white people. And it, there's actually a lot of understanding of its minority characters. Um, the first, this movie is two hours and 39 minutes long. The first half is all about the setup. The second half is elaborate and tense and thrilling. It's, I was on the edge of my seat throughout, wondering how everything was going to play out. Uh, the camera work production design is, is, is sparse, just like the script. Uh, Zoller, I think, really honed his style in this movie. This movie is amazing. It's amazing. I fucking love this movie. If it wasn't for Apollo 11, this movie would be my number one movie of the year. It's oh. great. It's great. Uh, hi, hi, yay, obviously. Uh, Hermano. So I've been kind of on a documentary kick lately. Lately, so I he watched... says, lately. <laughs> Always, for my entire life. Um, so I watched another one. This one's pretty brisk, sitting at uh, an hour and nine minutes. Not on IMDb for some reason, but it's an HBO documentary called One Nation Under Stress. Uh, I'll read a quick synopsis here. In the 1960s, Americans had among the highest life expectancy in the world. Today, the U.S. ranks near the bottom of major developed nations. Despite spending more on health care than any other country, America is experience, experiencing decreased life, expen uh, life expectancy. Um. So basically, the documentary is all about uh, stress and how pervasive it is in America. Uh, kind of explores some of the uh, symptoms where some, it, it, you know, it it's uh, documented by a neuroscientist, neurosurgeon, and investigative journalist named Dr. Sanjay Gupta or Gupta. Oh, Gupta! Yeah, sure. yeah, he's uh, he's featured a lot on CNN, I think. Yeah, uh, CNN actually features in the documentary. There you go. Uh, so he, you know, he's the one that's like, you know, the documentarian uh, talking to pretty much everyone from like experts to uh, academics to like your average American citizen and getting their perspective on what they think it is that's causing so much stress in America nowadays. And it's really interesting because you'll get like the neuroscientist or neurosurgeon talk like this is one guy like he looks like he lives out in the woods like total grizzly adams looking dude but he's like a scientist and he like studies and tries to compare and contrast the difference between people and like baboons out in the wild or uh for instance he makes it the example of how animals just don't really have the levels of stress that we do they may in like short bursts like when a zebra is like being chased by a lion but then it, they always typically come, come down if they get away, you know what I mean? And for people, a lot of people that are dealing with like chronic stress, like they carry it around all the time. It's like this weight that you carry around with you. And um, it was really interesting to hear him make all these uh, comparisons. Uh, you got a lot of other people like making the, like the academics will point to the fact that 
Uh, we have a whole generation of people like 30 years ago, like the boomers, you know, were fucking, you know, on top of a mountain, basically. And everyone, all their kids just assumed that, you know, they would be even better off than their parents. But ultimately, that didn't happen. And you got like this whole generation of people that have been like struggling for various reasons. And, you know, it's just kind of carried on that way. And then they get into the idea of how um, a symptom of all this stress is. Uh, so America makes up about 4% of the population of the world, but we consume 80 to 90% of the world's op opioids. So a lot of these people like are dying just from, not just from stress, but like the symptoms of stress, like people that are trying to medicate the pain away instead of solve like the root problem. If, you know, mm. just basically looking at it as like, as if like, this is the easy way out. And then, like, you know, they get into, like, you know, suicide and, and stuff like that. It's really kind of a downer, but really fascinating look at something that maybe a lot of people just kind of are, are living with day to day and just f feel like that's, like, normal to them, you know, to how, just be stressed. How did you find this stuck? I just happened across it. It was about to start on HBO or something else had just finished. It was I saw that it was pretty short. I was like, you know what? It looks pretty interesting. I'll check this out. So. Yeah, on HBO, if you have that service, really short at an hour, nine minutes, but packs in a lot of information there. So anyone that you know that's dealing with like stress-related issues or anything like that, I think it'd be eye-opening. So it's a yay. Host, I heard something that sounded like explosions in the backyard last night. Well, I can't say I'm surprised. Hey guys, uh, what? No audience? What do you mean? They're right there, but they didn't do anything this time. You're right. What's going on with them? Well, you know what show you should never have to worry about? The In Session Film Podcast. That's right, Tim. The In Session Film Podcast is JD and Brendan. Mm, I wouldn't mind sharing a phone booth with Brendan if you know what I mean. Come on, everyone. Woo! Nothing. Anyways, each week, the Ancestral Film Podcast chooses a movie to review. Then creates a top three list based on what they just saw. This week, the Ancestral Film Podcast is reviewing the latest Disney live-action remake, Dumbo. In a top three list of Tim Burton scenes. You can find the show on iTunes by searching for, you guessed it, the Ancestral Film Podcast. Or on the web at InCessionFilm.com. So if you're in the mood for more great movie reviews and discussion then check out the In Session Film Podcast on iTunes. Or on the web at InSessionFilm.com. Booga, 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 booga. Uh, it's finally happened. He snapped. You have to admit, it's pretty funny to watch. Come on, everyone, do something! This is a second time watchers episode, so that means we like to play a game we like to call Movie Battle Royale. 
This is where we use flickchart.com to create our collective top 10 list of all time. We pit of the five pairings of movies and decide which one is better with each battle. Are we ready? Let them fight! First up, Dumb and Dumber versus Spider-Man 3. You know what? Spider-Man 3. Wow. I I I I I, cre- I can't get into Dumb and Dumber. Oh, Hermano, you hate comedy, so you're probably going to default to Spider-Man 3 despite his flaws. Um, I, I have to go Dumb and Dumber. It, I don't uh, hate comedy. <laughs> I actually like Dumb and Dumber, but I feel like it's stuck in the 90s. I just can't go back and watch it and get the same joy I got out of it um, the first few times I saw it. Spider-Man 3, though, I don't know if you guys remember, I watched that with my son maybe about a year ago, and... I have to admit, like, I really like the beginning of that film. I think, you know, the second act's not great, but I feel like it kind of makes a turnaround towards the end. I don't hate it as much as I used to. I've been meaning to revisit this movie for a while, to be honest with you. (laughs) Dude, I'm telling you, like, some of the stuff, the beginning fight with with, uh, Peter and Harry is amazing. Like, it holds up. Like, I was shocked. I was like, I don't remember this being this good. And I don't know. I think it's all due to Sam Raimi. I think, and there's a lot of good action set pieces. I think the the whole second act with fucking evil Peter and shit is probably the worst. And then it comes. I think it it comes back around towards it's, the end. It's, it's one of those things that I just can't uh, watch uh, on its own. I have to watch the first two prior. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, are you going Spider Man three on this? Yeah, slight edge to Spider-Man 3. Yeah, Spider-Man 3 it is. Sorry, Harry and Lloyd. <laughs> uh, next up, Leaving Las Vegas versus Lethal Weapon. Okay, now, Lethal Weapon... Oh, jeez, it's a hard one. Lethal Weapon, I've never been the biggest fan of the series. I respect the the series more than I like them or think fondly of them, and it's been a long time since I've seen Leaving Las Vegas. Wait, um, before we get too deep into this, remind me what leaving Las Vegas is. Nick Cage. It's Nicholas Cage as an alcoholic. He wants to drink himself. Trying to, to kill death. himself. Yeah. I've never seen it. Oh. Hmm. I won't say it's list of I shame. I would recommend. I would I would recommend it, it is a downer. I won't say it's list of shame worthy, but I would recommend no. watching it. But Good, it's like quality. If you want to see, see Nick Cage actually, you know, well, like act. Yeah, like, he he won acting, an Oscar. Act. He won an Oscar for that yeah. movie. Oh, I'll definitely check it out yeah, then. Yeah, he's excellent in it. Um, Lethal Weapon versus uh, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. First one. I'm going with Lethal Weapon. I oh, Fellowship. I, 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 fantasy is not my wheelhouse. I can respect the Lord of the Rings movies for the scope and the effects and just the sheer ambition that that whole trilogy was. Okay, but I don't. I, I've only seen the. I haven't even seen the third movie. <laughs> All right, what do you what do you consider Jodorowsky? I consider Jodorowsky. Yeah, he's like his like, films, not fantasy. No, he's more of like experimental. Um, I put him in the same category as David Lynch. Okay, experimental and what's what, uh, this word I'm looking for that it's escaping me. Right, I'm having a surreal, rough day. surreal, like surrealist. Yeah, I feel like his his films, at least the ones I've seen, like kind of tiptoe into fantasy sometimes. Anyways, uh, Hermato, Lord of the Rings, right? Of course. Yeah, okay. Uh, back to the Future Part 3 versus Clerks. Clerks! Ooh. <laughs> Clerks, that's not even close. 
Yeah, Back to the Future 3 is maybe my least favorite. Actually, it is it's definitely my least favorite of the three. If it was one, no contest. But yeah, I think I'd give the slight edge to the Clerks. God damn it. I'm going Back to the Future 3, but you guys win. Clerks it is. Why do you hate Kevin Smith? <laughs> I, do, I don't hate Kevin Smith. It's just his... It, it's a style and it's a language that never spoke to me. You know, I didn't catch it during its time, so it's not anything that spoke to me. Yeah, uh, I feel like that film... I mean, I like Clerks. I think it's a good movie, but I don't think it's... it's It just doesn't... It's not a cultural touch, cultural touchstone for me. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. Iron Man 2 versus Sphere. <laughs> oh, shit. Wow. Have you guys seen Sphere? I... Dustin Hoffman, <sighs> Sharon Stone, Samuel L. Jackson? Oh, I miss... I misheard you. No, I have not seen Sphere. I thought you said Fear. Oh no, Sphere. With, uh, <laughs> uh, that, Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, you're you're fine not seeing Sphere. <laughs> uh, that's based off of Michael Crichton novel, which is, is pretty good. Um, Iron Man Two versus the Shawshank Redemption. Well, wow. we know what's going to win this one with the hands down. Moving on. Iron Man Two. It is. Ah, there it is. And finally, uh, Goldeneye, uh, the the reinvigoration of uh, of James Bond, nineteen ninety five, first showing of Pierce Brosnan with, uh, versus Me Myself and Irene. You know, uh, Me Myself and Irene is actually not a bad movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. It's not that bad, but Goldeneye. But you know it's... what? It didn't give me. It didn't give me hours of fun on the N sixty four with my friends. <laughs> okay. so I was Goldeneye the exact same thing. I'm like, I would give it to Goldeneye just for that game. <laughs> it's not well. We're not reviewing the game. We're not talking about the game. We're talking about the movie. All I'm saying is that movie because that without movie that exists, movie, I wouldn't have exists. the game. <laughs> Damn it! You know what? That game would still exist in a different form. It wouldn't be titled Goldeneye. It would be a, a, I don't know, some man. First person shooter. You know, they made a sort of a clone of Goldeneye. The same company. What was it called? Perfect Dark. Perfect Dark. Yeah, and it. It was good, but it wasn't gold. This isn't fair. This is fair. This is this is we're talking about the fucking movie. Guys. I barely remember the film. Like I've I I was never a big Bond guy. Like I watched what's, them, but what's her they, name? Ivana so... Anatop, I think is what it is. Played by Famke Jansen. Oh come yeah, on. Her little leg crushing ability. Yes. <laughs> oh uh, Sean Bean gets crushed by the, the satellite or the dish. Yeah. I remember little things like that, but I couldn't tell you the, the freaking story or anything or I don't know. I the Daniel Craig ones have reinvigorated my love for Bond. Oh, Actually, it's the only reason I even have any any interest in Bond. To are be we honest. are we really only gold Golden Eye because of the fucking video game? Yes, <laughs> that's what I remember of it. Alright guys, so we need to record our top three reasons why you should listen to French Toast Sunday podcast. Number three should definitely be our diverse opinions. Number two should probably be our top three lists that we do every week. No, it's gotta it's gotta be Mark Wahlberg. What about Gwyneth Paltrow's head? It's gotta be fighting the sadness in the swamp of sadness. Full frontal. Stories about being lost at sea. Brendan Fraser being underground. Helen Mirren's boots. Baltimore accents as heard in the wire. Wonderclaws. Crepes. Character studies. Wait, 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 guys. What about movies? 
Nah. Tree rape. Hmm. Tree rape? Yeah, I like tree rape. Tune in every Friday for a new episode of French Toast Sunday podcast brought to you by us at FrenchToastSunday.com. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Okay, let's talk about Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Tired of school? Who is Joan of Arc? Noah's wife? Like to travel? Can we go anywhere we want at any time? You can do anything you want. Just reach out and touch someone. Meet interesting people. How's it going, royal ugly dudes? Put them in the iron meat. Excellent. Execute them. Bodious. Then hitch a ride with Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Oh, yeah, dude. Rated PG. Starts Friday, February 17th at a theater near... The plot, two seemingly dumb teens set off on a quest to prepare the ultimate historical presentation with the help of a time machine. The director, Stephen Herrick. Uh, the actors, Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter, George Carlin. Uh, Hermano, why don't you remind us why you chose this film as your second time watcher's pick? Well, I... To be fair, I've already told you guys this. Like, it... It was technically more of my brother's, one of my brother's go-to films, but I've watched it so many times because being a, a young kid as he was, like he kind of would have like his go-to films and this was definitely one of them for him. And he, so he watched it a lot. Um, like I would pick things like, you know, the action movies of the day, like, you know, Stallone, Schwarzenegger, things like Three O'Clock High. Uh, Back to the Future, obviously, like films like that. Those were my go tos. My brother had like Bill and Ted's. We, you know, we we overlapped a lot in the movies, but I felt like this one was specifically um, his pick most of the time. And um, so I I just I don't know, like I I recalled watching it a lot. I hadn't seen it in a long time. I heard they were talking uh, about making the third one so many years later. Uh, so yeah, I just thought it was a good time to just kind of revisit it and see like, you know, if it still captured, got the same joy out of it that I did when I was younger. Fair enough. And Wally, what did you think on this rewatch? Uh, for some reason I had a much different memory of this movie than I thought I did. And I'm wondering if I also had my lines crossed from, uh, the second Bill and Ted, hmm. uh, at some points. Cause like there's something like waiting for, you know, waiting for things. And for some reason I thought Rufus was like a, was a more, like a prominent character, but I mean, it's been ages since I've seen this. Uh, but you know what? I still had, I still had a lot of fun with it because you know, if you have a time travel movie and I love the, the conceit that they have with this time travel movie in that a, that usually when you see a, uh, a, a time travel device, there's only one of them and you never see it cross paths or anything else. But when they do like another phone booth shows up and then, like duplicates come out, which would normally be a, a paradox, which you're not supposed to have. It's not even. But, it's not even close to being worried about any kind of aspect no, of the time travel. And that's what I love about this. I love the fact that just they just kept it super lighthearted. You yeah. know, um, 
when uh, Kate has, has never seen this movie at all. So she was, <laughs> she watched it with me. And so we're watching like the, uh, the, the, the ship come into the, come into the chamber. She's like, the hell is that? I'm like, it's time machine. And she's like, what? I'm like, it's going to be a time machine. You'll see. And then, you know, George Carlin, who doesn't really even look like George Carlin because mm-hmm. he's so, he's considerably younger here and also made up and he just looks different. It's, it's interesting to, to say the least, but I, I still had a lot of fun with this. I agree. It, I had a lot of fun as well. It, I can't remember the last time I saw this. If this movie's 30 years old, it's been at least 25 years since I've seen this. And I will say I was always amused. I, there are sometimes it's a little awkward and maybe just because of the time period in which it was made. But I will say it was totally excellent uh, throughout the majority of its runtime. Uh, you know, as far as far as you know, the <clears throat> the plot mechanics, you know, it suffers from '80s film mechanics, and the like. We said the time travel does not hold up to one ounce of scrutiny. It doesn't matter though. Uh, it's the leads. It's Alex Winter and uh, Keanu Reeves that that really make this go. Their chemistry, I think, is great. is is really great, and their commitment to the roles. I uh, I mean it doesn't seem like Keanu Reeves is really reaching uh, at this point in his career, considering this is uh, the same time frame as Parenthood, where he essentially plays the same type of character. Uh, and and then a couple of years later, he plays a, a surfer dude again, uh, just more buff <laughs> in Point Break. Uh, but his his acting is better in Point Break. I don't know. It it's it's fun to see the historical characters kind of mingle together and interact, especially uh, Socrates, <laughs> Socrates and, uh, and uh, Billy, the kid, the, they're, they're fun. I, I'm not sure about Joan of Arc. Like why the hell is she even drawn to the dance aerobics in the first place? Somebody answer me that's, that. That's Jane Wyland. Who? She's the guitarist for the Go-Go's. Okay. And that's why she'd be attracted to it. You know, the music's get the music gets her. Oh, okay. And she also sees all these women, that are working out, and at the time, you know, Joan of Arc is is a knight in in medieval France, and she sees all these women training, and so uh, she's going to go train them because she's a knight. Okay, it's a bit of a reach then. It's 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 an inside joke, and it's a reach for me. Then whatever, whatever. I uh, I have never seen the sequel to this movie, so this station this watch made me intrigued to watch the sequel. Uh, so Hermano. Did did we uh, pleasantly surprise you? Yeah, I was. I, I to be honest, I didn't even remember. I'm pretty sure Wally said he had seen it, but I couldn't remember if you you had seen it, Tim. So I was kind of a little bit worried that you, you may be like, "Oh my god, this movie's terrible," or <laughs> or if you, you just weren't on its wavelength. I can see where like this film could turn people off, especially if they didn't see it when it was in its heyday. But I think me and I watched it together, and I think Mia perfectly summed up this film. I think it. She she just said two words that describe this film perfectly: pure joy. Yeah, like it's completely lighthearted. It's fun. It's funny. It doesn't take anything too seriously. It doesn't care about you know like trying to make time travel seem plausible or anything like that. It's just going with the flow. It's completely an '80s film, essentially ushering out the '80s because the '90s obviously we kind of turned a corner. Films became a bit more dramatic more serious even though the second one came out in like 91 or whatever same year as point break by the way Mm. 
You know, like Keanu was in Bogus Journey and Point Break in the same year, uh, which is kind of crazy. It like really highlights that that guy is a fucking treasure, man. He's played so many iconic characters now. He's played Ted. He's uh, he's played obviously Neo. He's now John Wick. He's he's you know the guy from Speed, Speed. Yep. Point Break, like Johnny Utah. You know what I mean? Like he's he's got a lot of iconic roles, whether or not you want to admit it. Like he's well known for playing he, those. Roles. You know he's he's playing I think an action type uh, character in Toy Story Four. Do you know what his character's name is? Uh, like, Duke Kaboom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, like I mean, the film—I uh, don't know, man. It just—it does have some, like you—you you mentioned it is awkward, but there's like an unfortunate line that I didn't remember. Oh yeah, from the film because oh, yeah. it was—it was probably just more common in the '80s. You know, the the derogatory f word yes. uh, towards yep. gay people—not pleasant <laughs> uh, to hear that line. Even though you know, there—it's weird because it's like obviously we live in a different time now and it's not as ex- it's it shouldn't have been accepting then but it's definitely less accepting now uh, and it's just weird to hear like these two jovial guys just utter that word and just be like wow weird like it just doesn't seem to fit in the film otherwise but I guess that was just kind of par for the course back then yeah in 80s films you know um, but I, w- I do want to bring up something and it's kind of a stretch but I'm going to stand firm on this that I think that there's a time travel element explored towards the end of this film <laughs> that I think was a huge influence on Looper. On Looper. So you're talking about the when they're going through the police station? Yes. Okay. Okay. Do you see it? Did you guys not immediately see it? Like obviously Looper didn't exist back then, so you wouldn't have anything to to compare it to, but having watched Looper and then now watch this again have, have, after having not seen it for so many years, I was like I'm trying. Hey, that's kind of like Looper. I, I, I could see it to an extent. I, I absolutely loved that where they're like, I got to remember to leave the keys here. And like the keys just appear because we can go with the conceit that they went back in time and did this on purpose. Yeah, but, yeah, but they're so, also like so, in a loop of sorts. Like they yeah. they've done this before and they're they're kind of almost like uh, circling a loop. Like they're coming back around, even though they've been there already. But it doesn't make so, any yeah, sense. I, didn't see that. I saw them as I saw them as going back in time several times to be able to set all this up as, but we're not seeing it. Yeah. We're just seeing them as, as like them recollecting what they had to do. Like I really need a tape recorder. And at some point they went back in time, put the tape recorder there, but it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make it. It's a time machine. You don't need to see it. That's what makes it brilliant. I I get it. That's what I'm saying. They don't pay any attention to try to make it any sense, which is the best thing to do, you know, but it, it, also, another thing that you could tell where they just skip over things and they edit this to make it only 90 minutes is is they leave Napoleon at his brother's bedroom. And then all of a sudden, Napoleon is with the brother and the brother's friends at, at this Chuck E. Cheese-like place. Ziggy Pity. <laughs> and it's like, well, wait a minute. Where's the conflict of... You see, that's the thing. If this is remade or this is made later, the, there's totally awkward conflict of him trying to leave and this movie is an hour and 45 almost two hours long you know and yeah. and they add a whole bunch of uh, false tension in there and there, there's none of that there's none of that there's no i, I liked the way that was though because yes. all, all you really needed is like all the little vignettes of like essentially all of them are like fish out of water like they're all out of their own time they don't they're experiencing everything for the first time i loved all those like 
little uh, montage, especially the one in the mall where like, um, like uh, they call the funniest uh, mispronunciation for me was Beethoven. Beethoven. <laughs> they kept calling Beethoven Beethoven <laughs> and so crates and all that and you know all that stuff. Like I thought that was hilarious, but like like all of them just kind of like you know Beethoven just coming across a music store with a bunch of keyboards and the guy asking does he play. Uh, the guy Genghis Khan, who Tim, do you recognize who that was? Oh, Al Young, absolutely. The bad, bad dude in Die Hard. Yeah, they did him more justice in this film, dude. You got to admit, because they really did him a disservice. Seeing how skilled he is in this film, a year after Die Hard. Oh, I I'm see. Like, you mean in terms of his his uh, physical abilities? Yeah, oh, dude. Sure. In fucking Die Hard, he does nothing but hold a gun and right. get killed. Like I'm just like, in this film, he's like fucking like total martial arts guy and i'm like wow <laughs> he could do all that and they did they squandered him and die hard okay i was like wow holy shit i i, I don't know if they anybody was really squandered to die hard I all can't... right imagine him having a fight scene with bruce willis wouldn't that have been cool uh no because then he he just fought uh uh carl uh, you don't need another fight scene in that movie i don't know man i think i would have been cool to see like you know uh, Bruce Willis play up the kind of you know average Joe policeman guy and go and just kind of go toe to toe with this guy who's obviously got him outmatched in fighting ability, but see you know Bruce Willis somehow overcome it because that's his whole thing in Die Hard. He's like you know a, a guy uh, you know against all odds, like being able to overcome these insane odds, just being like a, an average Joe essentially. Huh. But Did yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I I liked all that stuff, like the especially the most extended one. Obviously, is the Napoleon stuff, where you know he goes bowling, and you know they're playing up the idea that he was short. Obviously, where I've I've actually heard that debunked that he actually wasn't that short. <laughs> he was actually like around five nine or something. Which yeah, I think they they short. it was kind of like a sort of like they were slandering him to uh, just kind of piss him off essentially, and maybe get him you know. Uh, you know, to fuck up or something. I don't know what what their intent was, but uh, but like all the stuff, like him going enjoying water slides and shit. Like the film is just insane. Like it's it's got all these things that you just I don't know. It just you you couldn't get otherwise in you know in other films. Like it just it completely captured the '80s for me. I I agree. I agree. It it captures the the joy is the is the perfect word uh, to to use for this movie. There there's nothing but joy on, on the face. You know, I will say it's a it's a little uh, um awkward. I don't know if awkward's the right word to use when they go into the future and they get to the to the uh, the the room with the I don't even know what the room is. What is that room with the with the people floating and and they they worship it them. Uh, that's I think that that's just like the center hub of society okay uh, okay yeah so i mean like how how why why are they worshipped why are they they, they just are their music is the base the the blueprint to solve all the ills of society they just don't know it yet yeah it's, it's just funny using the future when they're long dead the future is gonna is gonna find the wild stallions cd and they're gonna take the lessons from the lyrics in those in those music and and turn that into a uh, a society and everything's going to fix itself. It's so funny looking at this movie and, and just seeing what, you know, 10 year olds, you know, what this movie's targeted towards, you know, young teens, 10, 10 to 15, whatever. And, and what this age bracket, what we accepted, you know, and just never really questioned, you know, and we're looking at it through adult eyes. And then I'm kind of like trying to force myself to say, to, to ignore all these things. So it's really interesting trying to 
to look at it through a you know a younger set of eyes or a younger brain and and just trying to process this like like wh- why didn't I ever question any of this stuff? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, you know what's funny is like the the their whole music and it being the inspiration or the whatever the foundation of this society and stuff like that kind of seems satirical to me, like as if they were satirizing the Bible in a sense, Mm. like how, like if the people, you know, whoever, like Jesus of the time could go like 600 years in the future and see like what became of the Bible and how people are like worshiping, uh, you know, him and like God and like all these stories in the Bible and stuff like that. It kind of played like that a little bit to me like this time like obviously as a kid I wouldn't have gotten that but like watching it now I was like it's weird like how they go into the future and these people are like you know they know all their sayings like you know all their words and their music is playing in the background they haven't even written it yet so they don't even know what it is they just like it and stuff like that like I don't know you guys didn't feel that no I I just I was just a, a silly conceit for to make the, to make this movie happen to give them a, a joie de vivre. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't think I ever looked at it that way. I I just saw this as a very simplistic story, and I'm not sure if it's making any kind of commentary. You know, maybe not like overtly, but like I don't know. A lot of the the jokes in this are again, like you said, Tim. Like they're directed at a kid to slash teenager attention span. So it's just it's an hour and a half. This film's pretty rapid fire. Yeah throughout its runtime like they don't really i mean you could almost say the plot is very light (laughs) oh yeah absolutely but even back you know like when i was i don't know this movie was i was 11 when this movie came out i don't i did not see this in the theater so i would have been maybe 12 when i saw this movie and and when they say 69 i would i had no idea what they meant you know i i didn't know what that joke was and and I, I, it just went right over my head, you know. So, and it's just one of those things that it's so juvenile, I guess. I, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's really funny the stuff that you pick up on. I mean, I love the fact that uh, of all, you know, the, 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 they're picking up all these characters and just how easily they all adapted to time travel. It's, it's funny how accepting everybody Billy is. Kid. Billy the Kid's like totally cool. He's like, no, we got a time machine. <laughs> He's like, he has to find a way out here is this odd looking machine, you know, that he just climbs into. And uh, yeah, it it is. It is pretty funny how accepting everybody is. I love when they go to see uh, Socrates, how how he's he's trying to communicate with them. And you see the subtitles of uh, like the this the hourglass, you know, the sands, I don't know, whatever the fucking saying is. It's the opening Days of our lives. Days of our lives. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That's really funny. That's really as funny. a response to the lyrics, I think by Kansas, "All we are is dust in the wind." Oh yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, all we are no, dust in the wind. My favorite was the um, yeah. uh, Freud, and how like he tries to like psychoanalyze everyone <laughs> that he feels has like like outwardly something wrong with them. Oh, like and he's like, you know, but the... Ted has a breakthrough on stage where he just sits and goes. Whoa! <laughs> it finally hits him. You know what's the funniest part is at the, um, oh yeah, at the at the mall when Socrates and Billy the Kid are hitting on the on the women, and then Freud comes in holding a corn dog. It, it is so great <laughs> yep. because it's never it's never focused on. It's just there, and I'm like, that is that is really nice. 
uh, uh, production work right there. <laughs> nice visual gag. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's really good. There's just a lot of stuff in here, like you've said, that it really works well. Uh, just on a, a simple, a very simple, base amusing level, you know. And it, it never really gets offensive other than that one word, you know. Keanu's famous, uh, famous woe comes from this film true does it at least two or three times true but true. The, the one at the end on stage is the biggest one he's like whoa <laughs> that's where he has the breakthrough with freud yeah with freud yeah and he sits up on the couch whoa <laughs> i love how freud is just like everything is derived from your relationship with your mother <laughs> and he's like whoa did, i never uh, thought of that did the little thing on abraham lincoln's face bother you it bothered yeah. Mia. Yeah. She kept pointing to it. It's like, that is so distracting. It's yeah. maybe one of the grossest moles or whatever it was I've ever seen. Yeah, it's really bad makeup, putty, whatever it was. Yeah. I also like the Abraham Lincoln being interrogated. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I was born in 1809. What did you think of the whole Oedipus complex with the, with the, the stepmom? <laughs> that was that, hilarious. That cracked that was, me up. That was the other creepy thing. When he closes the door in his own son's room with his stepmom... <laughs> I was like, dude, no. And yeah, I love how I would... they call attention to that. He was like, your dad's going to do it in your room. He's like, shut up, Ted. <laughs> I would never go back in that room ever again. <laughs> I would literally like just set it on fire. <laughs> I love how it just played on throughout the rest of the movie. Your mom's so hot. <laughs> shut up. Yeah, she only recently graduated or something like that. I think that's the other joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that like she, she's like like – Remembers uh, Bill and Ted's teacher. She's like, hey, long time no see. Well, she was a senior and he was a freshman. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so weird. Oh, God. Uh, what else about this movie? What else? Uh, did did it warrant a sequel? Did, is the sequel worth it? No, no but funny. I mean, this thing made so much money when it came out. They just couldn't help but see the dollar signs. I, I, I definitely remember watching the sequel less. I remember enjoying it. I think um, that character actor from Shawshank plays death in it. Yes. Oh, no, it's William um, Sadler, the, the bad guy from Die Hard 2. Yes, yeah, him. Yeah, he's also in Shawshank. He's one of the prisoners, yep. but, like, um, yeah, he's in it as death. I remember it kind of being almost like a road trip-feeling film. Like, they're trying to get back. Um, but they're also, they're also making fun of uh, oh, what uh, – oh, oh, I'm having a problem today with remembering things. Where The, the, the movie where, in which a guy has to play chess with death to get his life back. Oh, Seven Seal. Seven Seal, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so they're playing Twister, playing electronic football. They're playing Battleship. <laughs> oh, yeah, they keep trying to beat him at something, right? Like, they keep trying to beat them. They, they keep winning. <laughs> oh, okay. There's a lot of love for the sequel. You know, some people, I think, like it more than this one. Uh, and you, you know what happened during my viewing is I was watching it, and, like, me and I were just kind of sitting on the couch for a bit, letting the credits play. And then all of a sudden, I thought all these years I had missed an after credit sequence, because all of a sudden, another, another scene starts playing, and I'm like, whoa, what the heck is this? And it's George Carlin. It's the bad guy from Lethal Weapon 2, the diplomatic immunity guy. Uh -huh. And I'm like, what's going on? Is this like a, a setup for the sequel? And it was actually the sequel started playing immediately after. Oh. I watched it on Hulu, and Hulu just thought I wanted to see the second one right away. <laughs> and it just started playing the second one. I, I was watching it for like five minutes. So I was like, wait, this is the second one. There's oh. no way there's like a five-minute stinger at the end of this film. Uh, yeah, it was pretty amusing. Uh, so this movie had a $10 million budget and it grossed uh, $40 million. Uh, so I guess that's a decent hit back then, I guess, and uh, you know made four times as much as it cost. And I guess there's your sequel. What kind of, so like what kind of cultural, do you think it still 
is relevant today? Do you, I mean, a lot of people, do you think anybody outside of our age bracket of our generation, you know, looks at this film and sees it, sees it as amusing as we do? Um, you know, that's a good question. I'm not entirely sure because of how comedy tastes change over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and like there's, there's a, you know, a slur drop, which would be, which you would have, Probably give a chuckle out of the audience back then, but now people be like, "That's problematic." Cancel Bill and Ted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think you have to be around our age to have even seen it. I doubt most people younger than us have even. Maybe they've heard of it because of people like us, like fondly reminiscing about it. But um, yeah, I, I I know that amongst people I know, like it's pretty well regarded. Everyone at least has some sort of fond memory about it. I've never heard anyone outright say they hated it. So for the most part, I don't know. I wouldn't even say it's, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a, like a cult film. Cause I thought, I feel like a, I know a lot of people that, that have seen it, but yeah, I think it's, it's, too it's popular. sort of like straddling that line yeah, I think for me. And so I don't think you could ask for much a better legacy than it's rating on IMDb of 6.9. Yep. <laughs> I wouldn't be Perfect. surprised if fans did that shit on purpose. <laughs> I don't know how like, you manipulate there's that. Like, like a bunch of people just trying to keep it hovering around 6 9. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Just creeping like, up, get time. over there and, and, and knock it down a few pegs. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think in the past I've asked about these films, like, can it be remade? But, you know, it's it's getting a sequel. So it's getting a, a, another movie next year. Uh, but face the music. They've, yeah. they've tried to remake this formula. It's been tried a few times. Like, dude, where's my car is kind of this formula. Okay. Okay. Not as successful. <laughs> um, uh, Encino Man, to an extent, is this formula. Um, with, you know, Brendan Fraser being the only fish out of water character, but like, you know, the kind of comedic two, you know, duo of Pauly Shore and Sean Astin and Encino Man was sort of this formula, kind of not really, but. I think Dude Where's My Car is maybe the most recent. It's like uh, Wayne's World a little bit. Yeah, you know? I guess. I guess with the, the, duo, the, you know, the duo, you you can say that. But you have to include the, the time travel aspect of it. Um, I don't know. You, the, getting the historical figures, it, it, it definitely has to be more than one uh, or two people being in the fish out of water. You know, it has to be multiple fish out of water. You know, because they're going back into the time periods and being a fish out of water, and then they're bringing back the characters to their time period. So, yeah, uh, you know what? I honestly didn't even notice. I didn't even remember until now. Thinking about it, is when they enter the address or the the numbers on the phone in the phone booth. The last two numbers they have to hit at the same time are six and nine. Yep. <laughs> I just thought about that. I, I guess we're ready to get in the grades. Uh, uh, Wally, what would you give this as a kid and uh, and as an adult now? Uh, I'd give it as a, probably a B-plus as a kid. Um, I would have dug it. It wouldn't have been like this movie I had to see over and over again. And as an adult, probably a B-minus. B-minus, yeah. I would have given it an A as a kid. I, I, I remember really liking it. I don't think I did. It wasn't something that I watched repeatedly, but I remember enjoying it uh, a lot. Uh, but now I would give it a B. It's a solid B movie. It's it's a lot of fun, uh, and uh, I'd recommend it to a number of people. Uh, what about you, Hermano? I would probably give it the exact same grade then and now of an A-. I think there's very little to fault. I think it 
it holds up in a sense that it it's just as enjoyable now as it was then for me. Like I still chuckled. I laughed at a few parts. I laughed at all the mispronunciations. I think those two guys together, like you said, Tim, were great chemistry, a joy to just watch on screen doing things. Uh, their little air guitar stuff, their you know, the running gags. Oh yes, are like the sound effects there, the sound effects of the air guitars. That, that's that's just really great. Yeah, it, it, I just I don't know, it, it, just pure joy. Like Mia said, she couldn't have put it better. Like I I just had a, a ball watching it, and it's it's quick. It's an hour and a half, and it, it breezes on by. It's just uh, before you know it, it's over. So next month, uh, Wally, is your pick for Second Time Watchers. And you put out two suggestions. The first one that you put out actually just isn't available anywhere. I'm not even yeah, sure. Yeah, I figured it's it's one of my favorite movies from my, from my childhood. It's fucking gruesome. I think Hermano would have gotten a kick out of it. Uh, oh, I've seen Fortress. it. Yeah, I, I watched that. That was one of my go-tos when I was younger. Yeah. Um, it's av- it's availability is almost nil, you know. So uh, Yeah, it was, I, think, I think it was a TV film. Yeah, I, I, th- I almost think it was. I, I feel it was like not because like they were impaling people on fucking spikes at one point. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but this is an Australian film too. I don't know if they have different uh, ratings there. So you um, you came up with a backup, Ollie? Yes, I did. I forgot what I picked actually. War games. Been, oh yes, we're gonna watch war games. I haven't seen that in a in some time. I loved that movie as a kid. Uh, the idea of a a computer uh, <laughs> nearly triggering World War. Three. Three, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. because uh, a a uh, a hacker uh, gets a little too out of control. A hacker in 1983 technology. Yep. Uh, yep. Internet technology. You know this this movie was like heavy rotation on TBS or whatever over the years, and and I've watched it constantly on on TV. I'm not sure I've ever watched like an unedited. Uh, it's PG, you know, but uh, it, you know, not for TV. Uh, formatted movie, so uh, I'll be curious to to watch this again. I, I I remember this very fondly. I really like this movie. And, so did I, and, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it again. See how it looks uh, through a, you know a new a new. I haven't seen it in ages. A new set of eyes. Although uh, the other thing I remember too is I know Dabney Coleman's in it, mm-hmm. and the computer is called the Whopper. The Whopper. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> Hermano, what, what, what's your memory of this movie? Um exactly what you guys described i remember kind of the the video game component of it the um the computer not knowing that it's a game or thinking it's a a simulation but it's actually potentially going to launch nukes or something Mm -hmm. around the world or Mm -hmm. or start world war three or whatever it was like I, i haven't seen it in quite a long time uh, all right, that does it for this episode of the First Time Watchers podcast. Donate via patreon.com slash first time watchers or buy stuff at zazzle.com slash first time watchers. Talk to us on Twitter at one ST Time Watchers on Twitter. Or write to us at our email, first time watchers at gmail.com. Download our episodes on iTunes and Stitcher. Feel free to leave a review. We love feedback. And if you have any suggestions of movies for us to watch, please send a tweet or an email. Speaking of suggestions, let's recommend a movie. I'll go first. So. Uh, the movie I'll recommend does, doesn't have uh, time travel, but it does have teleportation. And I just rewatched it a couple of days ago, and that is 1986's The Fly. Uh, nice. Di- nice. Directed by David Cronenberg, starring um, Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum. And uh, you know what this reminded me of, guys, in my rewatch? Uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Mm. Uh, so Howard Shore did the score to this movie, and 
opens up on the credits with this bombastic score that immediately reminded me of Bernard Herrmann. And and then I'm watching this movie and the the pacing of it in its middle 60 minutes is very deliberate and and it, it's uh in its melodrama as well really right out of the Hitchcock playbook and I would not be surprised if Cronenberg is doing an homage. Um I love how it opens up and it goes right into setting it up and then leading to that uh, middle 60 minutes and then like a brutally brilliant climax. That 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 ending, guys, is so amazing. And Brundlefly may be one of the all-time great horror monsters. Also, we were talking about the, the age, you know, how well Bill and Ted may hold up or not. You know, it, in this movie, while it does have... Uh, technology featured in the in the movie it's not vital to the essence of the film so this movie is timeless it really holds up today it's amazing if anybody has not watched the fly for some reason it's it's great watch it get off your ass and watch it it's great uh wally Uh, all right so jane wideland like i said the guitarist for the go-go's is in this movie in a non a primarily non-speaking role i can't remember if she actually says anything maybe Um, maybe in french yeah, I think she does. I think she's praying at some point. But uh, she actually has a speaking role in a movie from just a few years earlier as the singing telegram girl in Clue from 1985. Oh, nice. Six deaths are invited to a strange house and must cooperate with the staff to solve a murder mystery. Directed by Jonathan Lynn. Uh, you, I really hope that if you enjoy comedies, um, this is this is one of the best comedies you can possibly watch. Oh, and uh, it has multiple endings. So if you can get the DVD version, you'll be able to see all the endings uh, included at the at the end. Uh, initially, when this movie was released, they released three versions of this movie, and different theaters got different endings. Right. So only a select few actually had the the true end, what they consider to be the true ending of the movie. Because mm-hmm. on the DVD, it'll say like. It could have ended like this. Well, even it the, could have ended like this. Even the v- but it really ended like this. Even the VHS releases, all the home video releases had the multiple endings. Yep. Yeah. Romano, have you seen this movie? I have not. Oh, Wally. Oh, Wally. you should you should definitely watch this movie. Wally, I think might, you'd like it. Might be a second time watch of the future. <laughs> uh, it, it's actually it's actually quite clever. There's like there's lines of like, oh, what did he do? You know those things that doctors aren't supposed to do with patients? Yes, he does them. <laughs> it's 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 pretty great in context. Uh, Hermano. Okay, this is one that I don't know if this is already on my uh, list of future uh, second time watchers, but I may be adding it because I, me, uh, me and a coworker the other day were talking about the great Eric Roberts, <laughs> and it prompted me and reminded me that. The same year that Bill and Ted's came out, he was in one of my go-to films that I forced my brother to watch many times. <laughs> and I had recorded on VHS, probably on the same VHS as Bill and Ted's, because they both start with a B. That is 1989's Best of the Best. Oh, boy. Yeah. Have you guys ever seen yeah. Best of the Best? I own it. <laughs> nice. I, Tim? I not. Nope. Okay, listen to this cast, Tim. It's going to sell you just on the cast. Eric Roberts. Philip Ray. James Earl Jones, Darth Vader himself, and uh, what was what was the lion? Mufasa. <laughs> Mufasa, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Sally Kirkland, you know, of uh, isn't she the one that asked uh, for us donations to help feed the uh, starving kids? Sally Struthers. Oh, 
Sorry, wrong Sally. Uh, Chris Penn, the late, great Chris Penn. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I'll read the synopsis. A team from the United States is going to compete against Korea in a Taekwondo tournament. The team consists of fighters from all over the country. Can they overcome their rivalry and work together to win? Oh, boy. Long-haired Eric Roberts is the greatest Eric Roberts. Uh, the film basically features a bunch of... It's kind of tropey. Uh, it, it, you know, they're, they're putting together an American team to compete against the number one ranked Korean team in the Olympics in Taekwondo. So they're going across the country and they're they basically recruiting uh, fighters uh, for their for the American team. And they got Eric Roberts, who's like kind of towards the end of his career, uh, sort of. Right, Wally? If I remember this correctly, he's a little bit older than everyone else. Yeah, he is. He. Yeah, he's toward the end it's, of his, his kickboxing and, career. And he's uh, suffered a few um, injuries that kind of set him back. So he's kind of like, you know, a, a, a little bit of a, like a broken, towards the end of his career fighter. Uh, you got an up-and-coming guy who has a rivalry with someone on the Korean team. You got Chris Penn is kind of like a uh, Texas Taekwondo guy. <laughs> um you know, there's a bunch of other guys on the team there, and they're all kind of like ragtag. You know, you, when you bring a bunch of different personalities together, they tend to clash. It's kind of that. James Earl Jones is the coach of the team. He brings in uh, Sally Kirkland, who's kind of like this motivational speaker type person to try to get them, you know, their team building together. So it's pretty well done. It's it's relatively high regarded, sitting at an average of 6.4 on IMDb. Kind of one of my favorites when I was a kid. Perfect for teenage Romano, so I might be putting it on my uh, second-time watchers list. And I'll say Philip Ree and his brother, who stars aside from him on the Korean team, are the sons of Jun Ree, the man who brought Taekwondo to the United States. Nice. All right, and stay tuned for our next episode. In honor of the recently passed Agnes Varda, we'll be discussing a documentary of hers that is streaming on Netflix, Faces Places. And that's the first time watchers podcast, because we like to watch. I find these flesh tubes <laughs> uh, www.pornhub.com <laughs> I've never heard of this site indulge me we should, we um, should get them to sponsor us <laughs> oh man if only I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, if, I'll we, if we could host on there I would <laughs> what was that if we could host on there I would <laughs> oh man imagine that'd be great people have been doing that haven't they like um, yeah the, some guy got yes. um viral or something for going on there and just talking to people yeah, about yeah, yeah. their problems. It was just like, like a, a, a totally upbeat and positive, uh, I yeah. think, uh, uh, videos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and people were uplo- uploading like pirated films on the porno. Right, yes. <laughs> yeah. If we could so- somehow find uh, <clears throat> an opening into there, uh, then I-, I think it'd be great. It'd be great. Yeah, just uh, look look into it, Hermano. I'm sure you have a lot of free time. Three, two, one. 
Excellent. Excellent. All right, let's try it again. Three, two, one. Excellent. Excellent.